My guest today is Adam Lehman. He is a designer living in Brooklyn and currently working at iPole Rank, which is yeah. where we are today. Mm-hmm. Wonderful staff here. Uh, previously, you were a software. This is weird because normally people can't see me cheating and look at my notes, but I guess, you know, <laughs> Dude, transparency. Own you gotta own it. I'm owning it. Previously, <laughs> he was a software designer for IBM, the culture and brand designer for IBM Studios, powerful Paul Ren, editor in chief at All Things X Magazine, and a designer at Eight and a Half. How we know each other is um, I had a podcast with Bonnie Siegler, um, and she talked about you, and I, I edited that podcast. I had to edit myself like a hundred times on that podcast. So I heard it like over and over again and I heard your name. So I was like, maybe I should meet this kid. Um, and Bonnie talked about um, your submission to Command X mm-hmm. and um, a little bit about what that was like. So, um, and then you made an awesome post about uh, Sean Adams. You're never gonna yeah. be the coolest guy in the room. Yeah. Which was my first ever fan art, which was like- Oh, really? Amazing, yeah. Oh, nice, well now it's part of- Yeah, uh, send me your stuff, I wanna see This little it. Instagram project Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so tell me about Command X and what that was like. I know that the submissions are coming up and uh, people are going to be submitting to that. So can you tell me more about the competition and yeah. um, what that experience was like? Yeah, so I was at IBM at the time when- uh, And we're drinking, by the way, yeah. so cheers to you. Cheers. Meet the creatives, bam. Good to meet you. Yeah, I know. This is so, our first time meeting. This is really, you know, I really do meet people through yeah, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Bam, I don't know anything. You could be a serial killer. It's not creepy. No, not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's be so yeah, I was at IBM at the time, and my old professor and first mentor, Victor Davila, texted me and said, hey, Command X submissions end in two days. And I was like, shit. I was in the middle of designing and setting up an environmental design space for an IBM Studio Summit where we were bringing in like 70 studio leaders from around the world for three days of learning and workshops and lectures. So I was trying wow. to design out this space. So at that night, I filled out my entire application. Like I wrote my intro, my bio, why I want to compete Command X. I filled out the next four pages of work, brought it in. I had it proofread by probably like 14 people Wow! <laughs> um, in one day. And then it was like, just like deadline. So yeah. packaged it up, sent it out. Uh, the next week, Bonnie called and she said, we'd love to have you on Command X. And I was wow. uh, stoked. So, And it was I, where last year? It was in, it was in Vegas. Oh, that's so, that's so cool. Yeah. So I f- they like fly you out, everything. It's really awesome. Um, landed in Vegas on Sunday night. Woke up Monday morning to present my first project that they give you kind of a few days ahead of time to work on. And then it's off to the races from there in the 24 hours every time for a challenge and then two people are cut then 24 hours and two people are cut then 24 hours then someone wins how so tired I, were you at the end of that That's i was pretty done exhausting. we were all just done like <laughs> danny who we also met at command x um she's like a ball of energy like i was like where can i get that because yeah. you're gonna kill it like <laughs> 11 o'clock i'm yeah. ready for bed yeah. yeah right so it was it was really tiring, but also really rewarding because right. you get to kind of show off what you can do. You learn a shit ton about yourself in the process, of course. Did um, you have a moment, and because um, I'm you know, considering and, and plan to submit for it, but did mm-hmm. you have a moment um, where you were like assigned the brief and you were like, holy shit, what if I, in front of all these people, and these are very important people. Yeah. I mean, it's not just like anybody. Yeah, it's no, like, Sean two, Adams yeah, it's like 2,000. It. Yeah. Yeah. incredible humans right who, like you wish to be one day is so, there an oh shit moment though Does that i think happen? for all of them yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah. every brief that that they give you just because you know you only have 
23 hours, 59 minutes Yeah. <laughs> from there. So you're just like, oh, my God. So yeah. you just kind of, like, take a breath, go back to your computer and ignore everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because... I don't, I don't know what else to do. Yeah, that's so crazy. So so what's it like when when you win the competition and what happens from, from that there on in? Yeah, so it was kind of interesting going into that last presentation because before I was finalizing my slides, David Carson came over to me and like gave me rapid fire like drive-by feedback based on it, um, and which pushed me into like a different ending slide than I had initially. Um, and the, the last challenge was to get millennials basically to vote in the election coming up, the Trump election. Um, so my last slide was like a giant Back picture. Back when there was hope in this country. Yeah. <laughs> so my last slide was like this giant picture of Trump, like with a kissy face. And I put like text over him that said like, I'm a voter because no one touches our pussies without our permission. Oh, wow. So my whole campaign was about being inclusive and having people say, I'm a voter because of this, or I'm a voter because of that. So Nice. Hearing their opinion instead of telling them what their opinion should be right. was really important to me. Uh, so I either knew that the the audience would really like it and react to it strongly, or they'd be like, "Oh man, like yeah. that's." So he kind of pushed me in the direction of like, "Yeah, just like what's the worst that could happen? Like you'll lose." Right. And I was like, "Yeah, that's true," but it ended up working out. So okay. So before Command X, where'd you go to school? I went to the University of Central Florida. Okay. Yeah. And then you're, it was in visual communication design? Just graphic design. Graphic design. Yeah, straight cool. up graphic design, BFA. How did you know that you wanted to be a designer? Was there like your childhood? Like when uh, was the very well, first time? kind of. I've always known I wanted to do something with art. I broke my leg in the first grade, and it was right before summer. So I was like this hyperactive little boy who couldn't do anything. So yeah. I, would, I drew all summer. I filled like seven sketchbooks or something with like Pokemon and like superheroes that I like and like all those drawings are so wh horrible but yeah so I spent like three months straight just drawing just you had kind of like nothing better to do. I had nothing else to do besides yeah. just like watch movies or like watch my sisters jump on the trampoline so I was like oh my that god so like I had to get it out somehow so my parents just like kept giving me sketchbooks <laughs> and you were how old when this happened first grade first grade wow. yeah so then from there I started really liking drawing and I started taking like every art class I could um so then in high school, I actually took a graph design course, which was offered. And I, I took graph design one, graph design two, AP graph design. So then I knew I wanted to go to school for some kind of design. But even at that moment, it was they were really just teaching you was like, like Photoshop. Photoshop. Yeah. yeah. So after you graduated from college, like how did you land your first gig as a designer? And where was that? So I actually, in 2015, I flew to New York while I was in the middle of graduating. Um, and I had a lot of job interviews in New York. I sent 272 emails to people before I got here. Wow. And I had seven interviews because of those emails. So yeah. not like the best conversion, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's realistic, though. Yeah. I mean, I think that people yeah, yeah, are, yeah. No, I, they sent I, seven emails. And they're like, what the fuck, bro? No, like, I, I, I sat on a Saturday in my college apartment and I for like eight hours straight. And I just sent emails and put my portfolio and my resume everywhere that I could, everywhere I thought would be great to work. So yeah, seven interviews came out of that. Wow. One of the interviews was with a man named Randy Hunt, who if you don't know, you should really go look him up. Um, he was the creative director of Etsy. So oh, I'm, I met with him down in Etsy in Dumbo, and we ended up just talking about like all this random stuff, like life and design and work and other people. And um, so like three hours later, 
he's like, oh, I have this friend out in Austin working at IBM. They're doing a big hiring push right now. I want to get you in touch with him. So I leave that, and the next day, Randy sends this email f- on my behalf to Doug Powell. Uh, so Doug calls me while I'm in class one day and wants to go over my portfolio. So I go to my teacher's office. Yeah. So I go to my teacher's office, and we he he just sits and goes through like every piece in my portfolio with me on the phone. He's like, oh, I might tweak this a little bit. Have you considered this? I like this. I don't like that. We should rearrange these things so it's more cohesive. Like it was, it was one of the most impactful phone calls of my life. So when we were getting off the phone, he said, "Great. So just make those changes within like the next day, and I'm going to push your portfolio through to the hiring people at IBM." So then two days later, I had a phone call from them with a over the phone interview. Next week, they flew me to Austin, Texas. I had a day of interviews. Then I went out with them at night. Um, then. Two days after that, I had a job offer to move to Texas to go be a software designer for IBM, which wow. I had never really done software design. It's like a lot of enterprise internal software UI stuff. So I was like, oh, yeah, this sounds great. So I'm going to go. Um, quickly learned that I'm not a software designer. <laughs> um, it's not that I'm not capable. It's just that I don't right. enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like nothing about it was necessarily riveting to me, but I saw other people like really inspired by it and they were like killing it, just designing these experiences that I was like, wow, like you like really love that. And like, that's totally for you, but it's definitely not for me. Right. Um, so yeah. yeah. So then I transitioned as quickly as I could out of that and onto the core team for IBM design studios so that I could do brand and culture design around the world, which was a great job for me. That's awesome. Yeah. So then from Austin, when did you come back to New York? Was it just, was it after Command X or? Yeah, it was after Command X. Um, so while I was doing that job for IBM Studios, I was also running the magazine for IBM. Um, and then Command X happens, win Command X, go back to IBM. A few months later, Bonnie calls me on a Saturday morning and it's like, here's kind of what we're working on. When can you move if you want this job? And I was like, whoa. So I had to like call my parents. I put in my two weeks at IBM, wrapped up what I had to wrap up, sold everything in a brand new house that I just moved into. I was on the phone with Bonnie, like unpacking the last box that I had. And while we were on the phone, I started packing that box back up. Wow, like, that's I amazing. Was like, I was like, that's Fuck. so cool. I was like, and I told her too, I was like, you couldn't have called me three weeks ago. I wouldn't right be here. in this house. Like, yeah. <laughs> so that's a testament to how awesome it happens that you're willing to. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you came, came to New York and or Connecticut technically and right. worked with Bonnie, um, how was that different than IBM? What was some of the stuff? That you oh, it was the complete opposite of IBM because IBM is really huge. Eight and a half is a, is a small agency. Uh, eight and a, or IBM is a lot of internal facing work. Eight and a half is all client facing work. So like the first week I got to immediately work on that Alec Baldwin Donald Trump book that that got printed in the New York Times and then started working in on some logos and yeah so it was a great fantastic experience. The purpose of this podcast is to bridge the gap between entry-level designers and the industry's best but also you know young creative professionals who have had some early success Um, so you know working for IBM working for Bonnie and um, what are some of the most practical advice that you've received and 
advice that's kind of changed the way that you, you thought about design and about the world? Yeah. So I, I have more than one answer. I just question. You okay, great. I got time. We got the great. beers flowing. Yeah, we have plenty of I beer. took the train here. <laughs> this is the new We format. are. We're going on a bender tonight. We're just going to, we're going to, we're going to, uh, weekly we're going to do this. Yeah. Sure. We're going to be like the next Kathy. I'm going to interview you next time. Yeah, good. I'll kind of go chronologically in my life. Cool. And I didn't realize all of these things in chronological order. Okay. So it's important to keep in mind that the stuff I talk about first, I didn't realize till I was in like college or now. Right. But it's still incredibly impactful to my okay. life. So, uh, I was born with clinical anxiety, like right away when I was one, two, three years old, I was overly emotional, overly afraid of almost of literally like almost everything around me, except wow. my two parents and my two older sisters. Um, so going through elementary school, things like that, I hated going to school because I thought something bad was going to happen to my mom. After she dropped me off at school, she would drive away. And I would immediately think to myself, well, like, she's going to get into a car accident. She's going to die. This is the last time I'm going to see her. Um, or, like, I knew that my sisters were down the hall in the same school that I was going to when I was, like, six or seven. But because I couldn't see them, I couldn't know that they were okay. So I would always be, just be freaking out. Right. Like, you couldn't wield your own imagination. No, yeah, yeah, wow. that's, that's a good way to put it. My mind would run harder than anything else I could, and I couldn't keep that in check at all so initially my parents thought well, like maybe this is like a weird phase he's going through like maybe he's just like wants attention maybe he's being a brat and like I didn't know what to think or feel at right. that age either and I, I I also didn't have the words to explain what I was feeling to yeah. people um I think even at our age anxiety is such a difficult thing yeah. to explain yeah yeah so then we moved to Florida in 2004 um I start middle school my anxiety is still pretty bad at that point. It was getting kind of better, but between the move and like my dad staying in Michigan while we moved to Florida for us to like start our lives before he could come down. So I was always worried about my dad and it was like really new. Um, the South is a whole different place from the North. So everything I was accustomed to was no longer um, a reality for me. So I did therapy, I did psychiatric stuff, went to doctors. Um, all of that, just so we could start to try to figure this out and how I could start coping with it. So we did start with some minor and major coping mechanisms, some breathing exercises, some mental exercises, and then... Like meditation and stuff like that? Uh, not necessarily meditation, but just like how to analyze a situation and then bring yourself back into the reality of what's probably happening. Right. So I don't want to use the word unfortunately for me, but by circumstance, um, it wasn't necessarily enough. Uh, it's just the the serotonin levels in my brain are abnormal, and that's the way I am, and that's cool. Um, I have no control over that. So around the end of middle school and into high school, I think, I started on a medication that started helping me balance out those levels, and then I kind of came off them, and then I got to college, and I was off the meds mostly throughout college until my senior year, and like the stars aligned perfectly to set me off into this like huge breakdown for like three days straight. I didn't sleep. I didn't get like any schoolwork done. I hardly ate. Uh, right. Otherwise, so back to the feedback part. Throughout this entire process, it was really important for everybody around me to attempt to understand how I was feeling and why I was feeling that way. Mm -hmm. 
But when you're between 7 and 14 years old, trying to explain to all these different doctors and therapists and even your parents. This all is, the different perspectives. Yeah, yeah. Right, so right, it's right. like, this is what I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling it. They couldn't necessarily understand. So eventually, a therapist like gave me a sketchbook and some crayons. And they were like, okay, like, can you draw the way you feel when you have anxiety? Or can you draw how your anxiety comes about? So I was very easily, like, even in these rudimentary shapes and characters that I was drawing, I was able to explain um, why I was feeling the way I was. And then they could start wrapping their heads around the situation and be like, oh, this is starting to make so much more sense. Right. Like, because, I mean, I have a bad vocabulary as it is. Like, yeah. imagine me at seven or eight. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. has to just be horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that taught me to be really open and really vulnerable from a young age, which I've... I think is one of the biggest proponents of why I am where I am today. I'm, I'm not afraid to say that I can't do something or that I'm going to fail or that like I need a, some help from mm -hmm. someone. Right. Um, so just being open and being vulnerable all the time, even though like some people will be assholes about it, of course. And, right. but those are the type of people you just have you to just, understand. It's not your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's I've had that same thing this year. Kind of just like mm -hmm. I, I, I now value, like the like as I've kind of come into my own as as my own person. Mm -hmm. You know the things that I value the most are like transparency, yeah, and being vulnerable and being able to show up to an interview and wearing this yeah. ridiculous shirt, but just saying that's who I am, mm -hmm. and then kind of just letting that kind of shake out. Like if, if people aren't like you know if they don't want to subscribe to that, that that's fine. No, because, yeah, and know, it's it's like it's, to it's totally the their world. choice, yeah, but right. it's also my choice that I right. like I don't need to hide behind this. Right. And that. But you could be your most true self. And yeah. Let that shine through, and if you don't like it, then you know. Yeah. Be, just be indifferent. Yeah. Right. It's all good. Hundred yeah. percent agree with that. So that's definitely. definitely probably the most important one, and then also kind of going back to failing, being able to fail fast, and fail cheaply like right. up front so it's not like saying you can do something and then you can't do it or being like i can tackle this whole project in two days and i know i can do it but deep down you're like fuck i really can't and it's going to cost some people a lot of money when i don't get it to the point it needs to get to so being upfront and honest and then just getting all your shitty ideas out like right like like just because you write it down on a piece of paper or you sketch a logo down on a piece of paper that's god awful doesn't mean you're going to be judged as a designer based on that one sketch or you, that one bullet point that you wrote down you're just getting it out of your head to make space right for the next for idea. The better idea yeah that's awesome yeah so i would stick with those two when did the shift happen because like you had this terrible this kind of crippling anxiety which i think a lot of creative professionals have yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, there's still a stigma about talking about it. I, you know, and if anything, you know, I would hope that this podcast can now serve to kind of other people who are in that same predicament. I mean, it happens. Was when did the shift happen though between that behavior? Because that's a pretty deep, heavy story, and um, and certainly a lot of people like you, you know, have had that same fate. But when did the shift happen from that to standing in front of a stage in front of Sean Adams and Bonnie Siegler and yeah. all these people? And it was like 400 people or like more than that. Like 2000. 2000. Way off. <laughs> um, so w was that trying to prove to yourself that you could overcome that fear? Because I'd be worried about like the opinions of the people. and Right. So that's a pretty big shift. That, I think that whole shift happened for me in college. 
and there's a few reasons I say that. Um, the first shift that really started to happen for me is that before my last two years of college, I didn't necessarily have like a be- like a best friend or like a group of just the people I would always hang out with. Like I had it for kind of a little bit here and there, but it fell apart pretty quickly. Um, so all and it, I totally blame my anxiety and myself for that because I'm like scared of human connection at that point in my life. I'm scared to like leave and venture out and do things you like manifest that. narratives in your head? Because I have that a little bit. It's like if they don't, if they, you know, if somebody doesn't respond, then I automatically assume that they're plotting against me and trying to destroy me. Like it's weird. Not in that way, but like if if I were to like text someone who I love and I didn't get a response back within a few hours, I'd be like, you'd assume they're dead. They're dead. Wow. Yeah. I think my mom has that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So. So going into college, I was really struggling with this idea of human connection and why. I couldn't necessarily connect with anybody and I couldn't have a best friend and have these things I was seeing all around me for the past 19 years, whatever it was. Right. Um, so it was also kind of to the point where I thought I didn't necessarily deserve a, a connection like that in my life. Cause Why? I thought if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. So the time kind of came in and passed. Right. And so I was coming to terms with, well, I probably don't deserve this anymore. So I'm just going to see like what design can do for me, um, things like that. But, uh, and you said you were going to ask me about like a train wreck situation. Yeah. So I'm just going to get into that yeah. as well. So we're, we're right here. <laughs> yeah. So I was 20 years old. I was coming home. I was in Ormond Beach driving to Palm Coast, Florida, which is where my parents live. I was taking pictures at a charity event in Ormond Beach. And I was driving home at 1.40 something in the morning, maybe two, and I get plowed through by a drunk driver. So I was going about 70, 75 in the right lane, and this drunk driver was going over 100. So they they came up just kind of behind me and smashed right through me and just like kept going. So it kind of lifted my car and I went a little bit that way, then back and then spun out into the guardrail. Holy shit. So I slammed into the guardrail and came back and I hit my head on the window and um and you're 20? Mhm. Wow. I was 20 at the time. And then I roll back across and my car stops in the middle lane, but like the headlights fell out and it's, my car's like crunched up. So I remember seeing the guardrail coming and I was trying to steer through it, but I so I like gripped the steering wheel as hard as I could before I hit the guardrail because I was like, well, this is happening. Um, so when all was said and done, I was still like death gripping the steering wheel. Wow. And so then I like slowly, I remember like slowly removing my hands from the steering wheel and I, I audibly said, holy fuck. And then I took my seatbelt off, got out, went over to the shoulder and just like looked around. And then that's when my head started pounding, pounding, pounding. Um, and so my car's in the middle of the highway I don't know like where my phone is or like what just happened. There's no other car there. So the guy kept going. So there are cars going by and I'm trying to flag someone down, but people aren't stopping and I'm getting like really flustered 
and angry. <laughs> so yeah. I, I step in front of this this minivan. I put my hands up and I yelled, stop your fucking car, wow. which is kind of a dick move in hindsight because he was already stopping and he already had 911 on the line. <laughs> so this nice guy, yeah, this guy was awesome. So he pulled over, he handed me the phone. I talked to the dispatcher right. about like, this is where I am. I'm not entirely sure what happened, uh, but it's a bad car accident. Um, you should probably send someone. Paramedics like feeling my spine and at that point I'm coming down from the adrenaline. So I black out like really hard right away Yeah, so they start strapping me down. I come lunging back out of it But being blacked out is like the greatest sleep I've ever had even though it's only like 20 seconds Wow, <laughs> yeah, it was like the most peaceful thing So I come lunging back out and they like push me back down onto the board And I look around and I was like did I just get hit by a car and they're like, yeah, and I was like man that really sucks <laughs> So then, um, like, I was having a hard time believing that all of this was happening to me and so quickly. So I, like, stopped there and I was like, someone take a picture so I can see it tomorrow that this is happening right now. So, like, my dad took a photo. They strapped me down, put me in the thing, MRI. I had, like, a, con a concussion, some cuts, bruised all over, right. whatever. Um, so back to the point of the story. I was told eight times by eight different people that I shouldn't be alive. Um, in that moment, I definitely felt like I shouldn't be alive as well. Um, so after that, I told myself, and this was a pivotal time, I think, in my design career as well, because I was... I was also really struggling to understand what good design was. Mm -hmm. um, but it turns out my life was saved by good design by a guy who worked for Volkswagen. Um, he designed the seatbelt. Wow. <laughs> and it's because of his good design, good functional, like no bells and whistles design that I'm still here today. Wow. Um, and you didn't sustain any broken... No, just like bruised, bruised up a lot, cuts Crazy. and stuff. I had a concussion, so I had to stay up for a day. It was definitely a moment where I was like, okay, I'm attempting to fit into these different molds of design that are really popular right now and all these different things in life that seem like the like everybody's doing them. But I was like, at the, literally the day after I told myself, fuck that. I'm only going to design things that I think are like good and worthy of being put out. I'm only going to put my efforts into people and experiences that make me happy. And I'm only going to attempt to live my life as, as honestly as I can, whether wow. that, whether that's a positive thing or a negative thing for me or for someone else, but it just has to be that way for me from now on. So that's when I started to realize that how could I ever expect somebody to have a human connection with me if I wasn't going to put in the effort to have a human connection with them. Wow. So, and that's, that's and now I have friends that I call family and I have friends that are way closer to me than like other relatives and things experience. like that. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. Dude, this podcast is going completely different than I thought it was. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. That's amazing. That yeah. really is pretty Yeah. So ever since then, yeah, some people. I'm so were, happy that we had this. this is, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to uh, share this with everyone. It's so cool. <laughs> that's amazing though. It really is. So yeah, I just, I really believe Cheers in like that, a man. no bullshit. Cheers to you being alive. Thank you. You too. Yeah. I think we should almost like wrap it up. Right. Yeah, whatever. Let's do it. Let's keep drinking. Yeah. Dude. All right. So, um, Adam, where can people find you online? I love the name of your company, by the way. I just bought some your child Sephora. I think Adam <laughs> is 
So cool. Thank you. Yeah, so upandatom.co or upandatom.design. I own both. Um, up.and.atom on Instagram. I don't really tweet. If I tweet, it's pretty rare. It's mostly just you have like... a great Instagram feed. I really dig your Instagram feed. Thanks. That's the one I put the most work into. And Check I only it. have a Facebook, so my mom knows I'm still alive. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's kind of why I have it. I also just share my Instagrams to it. Yeah. To let her know that I'm still alive. Yeah. <laughs> so... This podcast has been awesome. Yeah. Very different, it's but good. very awesome. Great. You're a unique character. This Thank has been you. A, pr- a pleasure, a privilege. Anytime. You let me know. We're going to continue drinking. Oh, of course. Don't think this is over. Shots. We're just getting started. We're going to do shots now. Be the creatives. Chuck do stuff. One love. California in the heart of Hollywood. I stood next to my wife in a line surrounded by hundreds of other people on our way to watch Star Wars when suddenly I was engulfed in fear and panic as my body began to fade. In this moment my mind was full of clarity but my body insisted it was in danger. I looked around and I told myself I was safe, I was fine, but I was convinced that something was wrong. Before I knew it I felt as though I was going to fall and fade away. My body grew weak and soon enough I found myself in a hospital bed being told what I went through was anxiety. I refused to believe this story. I searched and searched for the cause of what had happened to me. I began to feel detached from reality. I felt as though I was seeing the world through a glass. I got blood work done, 
Analysis of my mind and body to no avail. The doctor said it was anxiety. But how could it be anxiety? How, how could anxiety make me physically feel off balance? How could anxiety make me feel as though I was fading from this world and on the brink of death? Derealization. The sense of being out of one's body. I'm not here. Uh, I'm, I'm not me. I'm not real. Nothing is. No, nothing but this feeling of panic. Nobody understands. Nobody knows the suffering. This, this physical feeling. It, it can't be anxiety. It can't. Mind controlling the body? <laughs> yeah, of, co of course. I'm so in control of my, my mind and my body that I'm subconsciously forcing myself into a state of self-bondage entangled by the ropes of my own mind. I am unhappy, not with life, but with this feeling. I am scared. I am human. I am a man, but I look in the mirror and I see a child. I am an adult who recognized grown-ups don't really know shit, and they never did. And it scares me because now I'm just a grown-up who doesn't know shit. But one thing I do know is this feeling, this horrible feeling is going to kill me. No. No, this feeling, this anxiety is nothing. I have anxiety, just like you, the person I wrote this for. And together we will overcome this feeling. We will remember despite the attacks and constant feeling of our mind and body being on the edge that we are alive. In any moments we have free of this feeling we will not take for granted. We will rejoice in this gift that is life. We will rejoice in this day that we have been given. We will accept our anxiety and strive for the betterment of ourselves starting with mental health. We will accept ourselves as we are, and we will be happy with the person we see in the mirror. We will accept ourselves and live with anxiety. That's the first in my life I've ever done something like that. I'm not really sure how it goes.